so glad that you are here today. I want to begin um, just sharing a, a story with you. Um, last Friday, as you know, there was a pretty um, good storm that passed through the Fairview, Allen, McKinney in this area. And um, when Debbie got to work on Monday, um, she listened to the answer machine and she called me into her office and she said, you've got to listen to this. And I was like, okay. So I went into her office and she played the message back. And I kid you not, this is how it goes. The gentleman said, hi, this is Jesus Christ calling. And I sent you rain so that you do not need to turn your sprinkler system on. And, um, the guy just kind of concluded with that. As you know, we are on septic here. We're not on city sewage. And so anytime it rains, it seems like our sprinklers are going off. Um, and some of you, and I, I'm somebody in this room, I'm not going to call them out by name. The first time they visited the church, it was raining and they pointed out to me, do you know that the sprinklers are on? And I had to go through the story with them. Well, let me finish the story. Thanks to caller ID, um, I was able to get this gentleman's number, and I call him up on the phone, and I said, good morning, my name is Chad Womack, I'm the pastor at Friendship Baptist Church, and you left a message over the weekend, click. <laughs> and so as Jesus tells us to be, he tells us to be persistent, right? And so I sent this gentleman a text, and I responded, hey, this is Chad Womack, pastor at Friendship Baptist Church. You um, called and left a message over the weekend, and I just want you to know that we are on septic here, not city sewage. And, and so that's why the sprinklers are going off. We don't have control when they go off. And the guy, it took a while, but the guy finally responded back, and he said it's still wasteful. And so I just wanted to share that with you. So for those of you that ever show up here on Sunday morning and, it's, and, and the sprinklers are going off, even if it's raining out front, those are septic sprinklers. You know, this morning we're continuing our Matthew series, and we find ourselves in the book of Matthew chapter 18, and we're going to be looking this morning at verses 15 through 20 together. And this morning we're going to be looking at that one subject that most pastors do not address, and, and probably many of you in a church setting have not heard many sermons on church discipline. But that is where we find ourselves this morning. We are looking at church discipline. Discipline, no one likes it, but it is necessary. If you have your Bibles, again, Matthew 18, 15 through 20, this is what we read together. Let's read from God's Word. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen... Take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. I want you to know this morning that the church must always love one another and seek to restore one another. How many of you in this room like correction? Raise your hand if you like correction. 
None of us. How many of you have learned from the correction that you have received over your lifetime? All of us will raise our hand there. That is the key right there. The Lord gave us discipline, not for the purpose of alienation, but for the purpose of restoring a person for their good and for the Lord's glory. And that leads us to the first point this morning. It is this, the necessity for discipline. The word discipline comes from the same root word as disciple or teach. The aim of discipline is always correction. It is always to be used as a teaching tool. It is always to be used for the purpose of helping another believer, helping another person. The writer of Hebrews penned these words in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 7 through 11. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I discipline my children. Not because I enjoy it, but ultimately because I want my children to imitate the Lord Jesus Christ. All of us in this room discipline differently. I know that and I recognize that. Some of you respond to discipline differently. When I was younger, there was really only one way that I responded to discipline. And that was the Board of Education. How many of you remember the Board of Education? How many of you ever received the Board of Education across your backside? I will tell you right now, I experienced my fair share of the Board of Education. In fact, the first time I ever got licks was in the second grade. We were having a fire drill, and apparently, um, my parents used to say this all the time, I like to talk a lot as a child. And so we were doing this fire drill, and we were all lined up, and the teacher said, you are not to talk. Well, since I couldn't talk to my buddy next to me, somehow we got into a spitting contest to see who could spit the furthest. I know it's gross, but that's what we did. And as a result, the teacher saw us, gave us a warning. When the teacher turned around, we resumed our competition, and as a result, we got caught First time I ever got licks in school. Wouldn't be the last. Um, In fact, unfortunately, it wasn't the last time I got licks for spitting either. My first day at my new school in Wiley, we moved from Plano to Wiley um, on my 12th birthday. And so I was in the sixth grade. In the first day at this new school, I, I remember striking up a friendship with the guy that was in the cafeteria, and somehow we began to spit. Don't know why, don't remember, not important to the story. We got caught, though. 
okay? And Coach James, the tennis coach, is the person that caught us. And I remember what she did. She called us to her office one at a time, and she told us to bend down and touch our toes. But as we do that, we're supposed to look at the calendar and identify our birthday. And so I look, and I find December the 28th. I reach down, touch my toes, and as I'm touching my toes, I realize that this coach, um, here's my backside. She's about three steps from my backside, and I watched her that first time. She took steps, and she just lit me up three times. I did not cry, though, but I did have a hard time sitting down. If you are a child of the 80s, do you remember parachute pants? The other kid that got licks with me had parachute pants on. He bawled his eyes out. Discipline. Nobody likes it, but it is necessary. I learned a great lesson from the discipline I received in my home as well as at school. And as a result of the correction I received, I am a better person today. You know, I also remember in church... Um, as a young child, well, actually as a teenager, um, but I remember the pastor calling me out one Sunday because I was talking. It's the last time I ever got caught in church for talking. Discipline is rarely seen in the home or in the schools or in the church house anymore. You know why, especially within the home and the church, it's not seen anymore, especially, you know, spanking children? One reason is because parents are afraid that if they send their kids to school with a red bottom, then they're going to have the cops called on them. Administrators don't discipline kids anymore because they're afraid if they send a child home after giving them licks, then they too are going to have the cops called on them. So what is the solution today? We discipline differently, don't we? We discipline our kids from, from grounding them from TV. We send them to their room. We take their phones away from them. We take their eye devices away from them. We take their game systems away from them. We discipline differently today. And, you know, there's also an element of threat that comes from our kids these days, too. If you spank me, then I'm going to call um, CPS on you. In fact, I'll never forget this. One day we were, we were traveling with, with the kids, and, and as we're driving down the road, I forgot what happened, but I told Connor, I'm going to wear you out if you don't stop. And he goes, if you do, I'll call CSP on you. And I said, you go right ahead and call CSP on me. And so obviously he didn't realize it was CPS. And, and so the joke around our house is, you know, whenever our kids get in trouble or whatever, and, you know, we'll say, well, call CSP on us. And so we've had a, a lot of fun with that over the years. You know, discipline, once again, no one likes it, but it is necessary. King Solomon wrote these words in Proverbs ten seventeen. He said, whoever heeds instruction is on the path to life, but he who rejects reproof leads others astray. He also said in Proverbs 12, 1, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. Pretty harsh words there. Proverbs 13, 24, we read, Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. And Proverbs 22, 6, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. The Lord spoke these words in Revelation. Revelation 3, 
19, we read, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Just as the Lord instructs us to train up and discipline our children when necessary, so does he call us within the church to discipline when necessary. And that leads us to our second point, the reason for church discipline. The reason for church discipline is never to remove a believer. The goal is always correction. However, most pastors and most churches avoid discipline altogether. Let me ask you a question. How many of you in this room have actually been a part of a church that exercised church discipline? Raise your hand if that's you. few of you vast majority of you probably have not been a part of a church. You know what happens today whenever you practice church discipline in the church? You make national news. That's what happened to a local church in the Metroplex because they enacted church discipline. A person in this church went through the new members class, and when the class was complete, they signed a membership covenant agreeing to the core beliefs of that church. That church, as this church, believes in the biblical definition of marriage, and when they signed that covenant, they too agreed to that biblical definition of marriage. Well, this gentleman um, entered into a same-sex relationship. And as a result of that, this church took a biblical approach when handling this matter. And this man still was willing, not willing to exit that relationship. For that, his membership was revoked. That made national news. What did that church do wrong? That church handled an internal matter internally, but because that former member made it a public issue, it made national news. Let me be clear this morning. Church membership is not like membership at the local country club. We have turned it into that, but the church is so much more than a country club. The Bible speaks of the church in terms of being a body, a body of believers. In 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 14, we read, for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we all We're all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many members. There is the greater church body, and there is the local church expressions of faith, local church bodies, and that is what Friendship Baptist Church is. We are a local body of believers that are made up of first um, born-again Christians, men and women that have professed Jesus Christ to be their Lord and Savior. We are made up of men and women that have been baptized through immersion. And then if you're a newer member of this church, as a result of our constitution that we we passed a few years ago, you have gone through the new members class. And if you've done those three things, you become a member of Friendship Baptist Church. No one was forced to be members of Friendship Baptist Church. It was something that you chose to do. You chose to become a member of this church. And you value your membership, as we do value your membership. Paul instructs us in Ephesians of the organizational structure of the church. He tells us that Christ is the head of the church. In Ephesians chapter 1 we read, and all 
And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and in all. Christ is the head of the church. He is the leader of the church. And as the leader of the church, he has prescribed for us a a set of steps that we are to adhere to when we practice church discipline in the local church church. So notice the steps for church discipline that Jesus laid out for us. Once again, no one likes to be disciplined and no one likes to discipline. However, it is necessary for the good of the person and the good of the church. Notice the steps Jesus laid out. The first thing is this. When someone has wronged us, we are to go to that person in private. Just us and them seeking to get that issue resolved. In Matthew eighteen fifteen, we read, Jesus said, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. The first step is to go to that person that has wronged us in private. This is not something that your pastor is responsible to do. It is not something that a deacon is responsible or your growth group is responsible for. It is something that you and that person, the person that has wronged you, or if you have recognized a sin in somebody's life, you are to go to that person and talk with that person. Jesus instructs us to go to that person person that has wronged us and correct that person of their fault, to correct this person of sin that they have committed against us. Now, here is what is very important as we practice church discipline. If we're going to go to another person and we're going to call out sinfulness in their life, it is absolutely important that we go to that person with clean hands and a pure heart. It is absolutely essential that we take this step because how wrong is it for us to point out the sin in someone else's life when we too are engaged in in sin in our own life? In Matthew chapter 7, and we looked at this many um, months ago, but in Matthew chapter 7 verses 1 through 5, Jesus said this. He said, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take care of the speck, take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eyes. As you and I offer correction, we go to that person in love. We do not go to that person in condemnation. We do not go and and, and air their dirty laundry and point out every particular sin that they have committed. And this first step, that sin is between you and that person. That person wronged you And so you are going to that person to get that item resolved. And with this first thing, it is absolutely important that the circle of correction is very, very small. 
It is between you and that person and that person only. It is important that with correction that a person's character is protected and the name of Jesus is highly lifted up. Remember, the reason that you are going to this person is to, be, is, is, is to begin with is for their good, to help them combat the enemy's attack. This person is a believer who has personally wronged you. You are going to that person to get whatever has happened between the two Two of you resolved. One writer stated this, that we are to love our brother or sister enough to privately address this person's sin. That's why we practice this. It's to protect that person and their character, and it's for their good and the Lord's glory. Jesus said that if the person responds rightly, then you and I have gained a brother. Now, the reality is this. Not every conversation that we have is going to go well. And so Jesus told us what the next step is if the first step does not go well. He said that we are to take another person with us. In verse 16, we read, But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If the person we are trying to lovingly restore does not listen, we are to take another person with us. This person could be a person in leadership within the church, but it does not need to be a person in leadership. It is still best to handle the situation as quietly as possible. Regardless, the person that goes with you needs to be someone that is, uh, has a strong character. It needs to be someone that will support you as you go to this person. It needs to be someone that's going to keep that circle of influence as small as possible. We don't want it to get big at this point. It stays as small as possible. Why do we take someone with this? Deuteronomy 19.15 gives us an idea. We read, a single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. As we go to this person, we go with love, we go with humility, and we seek to be as gentle as we possibly can be. Now, if that does not work, then we are told what step three is. If the first two do not work, If going to that person in private doesn't work, if taking one or two other people with you does not work, then we are told to bring that person or that situation before the church. We are to tell the church. In verse 17, the first part, we read, If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. In verse 17, this word ecclesia or church appears for just the second time in Matthew's gospel. Within this third step, the circle of involvement grows. It grows to the point of involving the entire church body. What happens here is that the situation is made known to the church. The steps are revealed to the church of what has already taken place. The steps are revealed that the person that we are bringing before the church is unrepentant. This step, this is the step that is often avoided in the church. 
Once again, no one likes to be disciplined, and no one likes to discipline, but it is necessary for the good of the believer and the good of the church. Let me ask you a question. I mean, just kind of as an example here. If I brought before you Jim Bob, and I told you that Jim Bob has been stealing money from the church. Most of you most likely know Jim Bob because Jim Bob is, a, is an active member of the church. You, we all think that Jim Bob is a, a man of high character, and we love Jim Bob, but, but we have to recognize that Jim Bob has been stealing money from the church. And so we address that. We go to him. He's unrepentant. And because he's unrepentant, we take somebody else with us. He's still unrepentant. And the third thing that we do is we have to bring Jim Bob before the church. We bring Jim Bob before the church because we need to exercise church discipline because this man has been stealing money from the church. We are not going to throw stones at him because of all of us in this room have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are not going to stone him, but we are going to lovingly correct him. Why are we going to do that? What good does it do to air someone's dirty laundry before the church? We do it to demonstrate the love of Jesus. We do it because we are concerned about the other person's holiness. We are concerned about that person's holiness. If there is any area in the church that we have failed in, it is this area right here. Because we are not concerned about one another's holiness. We live with the motto, live and let live, don't we? But we have been commanded by Jesus that if a brother has wronged us, that we are to get that issue resolved for that person's good. To help them with their holiness and their pursuit of Jesus. Jesus never once gave us permission not to be concerned about a person's holiness. We enact church discipline because we're concerned about their holiness. Notice the final step. We are to treat that person like an unbeliever if they are unrepentant. In the second part of verse 17, we read, And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Of all the steps, this one right here is the hardest. If that person chooses still to be unrepentant, it is then that we treat that person like an unbeliever and we revoke their membership from them. This is hard to stomach because we see the church, what? It's a a place for sinners, isn't it? Understand there's two sets of people that sit in our pews every Sunday morning. There are those that are members of this church, that are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, and there are those that are unbelievers and non-members in this church. Those that are non-members, those that are unbelievers, those absolutely are men and women and students and children that we want in this room so that they can hear the truth of the gospel and repent of their sins. So this is absolutely a place for sinners. But as church members, this is a place for those that have been redeemed. 
It is a place of redeemed, repentant sinners, not men and women that willingly sin or continue to sin. When we became followers of Jesus, we were forgiven of our sins, and we began a new life, a life that is in pursuit of becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. We should aim daily to be more like Jesus. Now, we all make mistakes. We all fall short of the glory of God. But because we are redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, when we fail, we immediately go to Jesus and ask him to forgive us of our sins. And we have that promise that the Lord is going to forgive us. It is when we do not recognize our own sin that church discipline is needed. Church discipline is not a suggestion. It's not something that we can avoid. It is a serious matter that Jesus tells us to take seriously and gives us the steps for handling it. And that's what we have looked at, where we are to go to that person in private. We are to take someone with us. We are to bring that person before the church. And if all those three do not work, it is only then that that person's membership is revoked. In conclusion this morning, Notice this. The goal of church discipline is forgiveness. Ultimately, that is the goal of church discipline. We want to see that person acknowledge their sin before God the Father and seek forgiveness and restoration. We read in Matthew 18, 18 through 20. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Remember, the ultimate goal of church discipline is always the restoration of the church member. Jesus came to restore sinful man to our holy God. He did that by living a sinless life, by going to the cross and dying for our sins, by defeating death. And, and because of the work of Christ on the cross and because of, of, of the work that he, com, he completed here on earth, God approved of his work. He, he atoned for our sins. And when we place our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are promised that we will be forgiven of our sin. That once broken relationship has now been restored. And the goal when we participate in church discipline is always to see our brother or sister in Christ restored to our holy God. That is the key to all of this, is restoration. The key of all of this is to see that person that we are going to, the, 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 the relationship with God the Father restored. And that leads us to our final sub-point this morning. It is this. Church discipline is practiced for the holiness of the church. In verse 20 we read, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Here is the promise that we have. When we practice church discipline as a church, the Lord Jesus Christ is right in our midst if we do it the correct way. And if we call to him to ask him for the strength needed as we practice this, then the Lord is with us. He is right here in our midst as we do that. Discipline is hard. But with this passage, we are given the assurance that when we practice church discipline, we can be assured that Jesus is right here with us. He is here loving us, supporting us, and approving of the work when that work is done in his name in an unselfish way. The church must always love one another 
and seek to restore one another. And the goal is always to see us and that other person become more and more like Christ, to see them pursue a Christ-like lifestyle. Now, church discipline is not easy. Discipline is not easy. It's not easy to be received. It's not easy to implement, but it is something that we are told in God's word that we are to do. It's a must. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. Just like the command to go into all the world and preach the gospel, there is the command that if someone has wronged us, that we get those things resolved and get those resolved immediately. You know, some of you in this room, there may be some things that you need to get resolved with a brother or sister in this room. There may be things that you need to get resolved with a brother or sister outside of the doors of this church. And if that's the case, let me encourage all of us in this room that find ourselves in that place to be obedient to the Holy Spirit and go and get things resolved. We get it resolved for the good of our relationship with our brother and sister in Christ as well as for the good of the church. No one likes to be a part of a strained relationship. There is no glory that God receives whenever brothers and sisters are fighting, whether it's fighting in this church house or fighting with another church house or whatever the case might be. The Lord is never honored by that. So if there's something that you need to do this morning or in the days ahead or the weeks ahead, let me encourage you to do that. Not because I'm telling you to do it, but because God's Word is instructing all of us to do it. Now, you may be here this morning, and and you don't have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to invite you this morning to make the greatest decision that you could ever make, and that is to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And the Bible tells us that if we will do that, then we shall be saved. If you're here this morning and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to make the greatest decision that you could ever make. You may be here this morning. And, and you've been visiting this church for a while, and the Lord is leading you to become a member of Friendship Baptist Church. What better day to become a member of Friendship Baptist Church than the day that we talk about church discipline? You know, here's the deal. I've promised you that I'm always going to preach the entirety of God's Word. And there are some tough subjects in God's Word. Coming weeks, there are going to be some other tough subjects that we're going to address. But we have to address them because that's what we're commanded to do. So if you're here this morning, there's a decision you need to make. I'm going to invite you to do that. If you need to come trust in Jesus, you come. If you need to come this morning and make this your church home, you come. Let's stand together and let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the privilege of being in your house. Father, I know that on a day like today, this is kind of one of those hard sermons to preach and one of those hard sermons to receive as well. But Father, it's a a step that all of us must take if someone has wronged us or if we've wronged another person. We need to get these things resolved. And so Father, for my personal life, I pray that you will help me do that. As a church family, I pray that you will help us to do that. Father, there may be someone here this morning that that, um, 
do not have a relationship with you. If they were to die today, they do not know where they would spend eternity. And Lord Jesus, I pray, Father, that if there is someone like that, that today will be the day that you draw them unto salvation. There may be some here this morning, Lord, that you're leading to become a member of this church, and we welcome them. Father, there may be some here this morning that just need to come and kneel at this altar and and just seek wisdom from you. There may be some reconciliation that may need to even happen in this room this morning or outside of the doors of this church this morning. Just lead and guide and direct us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.